0: Hello there, everybody. Uh, I have a apology to make. So it seems that due to some of the ways that radio stations record audio, we've had a glitch. And we lost about a little bit less than half the episode. So I just wanted to preface this episode by showing that uh, you're kind of going to get a in-media res version of the show in which we show up about halfway through uh if i can recover the rest of the episode i will repost the whole thing together at a little later date but uh the interview was really great so i wanted to really promote it so here you go welcome to gradcast the official podcast the society of graduate students at the university of western ontario
1: Right. Uh, uh, Sorry, butanol. Butanol, mostly right now, it would be seen as an additive. It's a much better with our standard gasoline that we have these days. It blends much better than your standard bioethanol. And it has a higher octane rating, meaning that it's a lot lot cleaner and a lot safer on your engine. So um, right now, in the current stages of where we are with our biofuel production, it's much more integrating into systems we already have existing and trying to slowly shift towards the greener and uh, more environmentally friendly path.
0: So then I guess one uh, well, more question I'll hand off to Gina for this. Uh, uh, pretend I'm Elon Musk mm-hmm. and I am, you know, I, I mean, I've been hearing a lot about these like just uh, why we need biofuels for kind of trying to shift to electric cars. and stuff. Right. I'd be interested if you could weigh in since you're an engineer also. Sure. About this uh, battery versus uh, liquid fuel totally discussion
1: sure um, so with mr. Musk and his technology with the good old Tesla car uh, it's a great it's a good it's, good, it's some great steps towards uh, with a lot of fuel cells they're very inefficient in terms of uh, the surface area that they need. In addition, if you're using hydrogen as your fuel cell base and you're electrolyzing that within a system, having a tank of hydrogen gas within your car isn't necessarily the safest uh, thing to have. That's just a walking explosion waiting to happen. So when it comes to the liquid fuels argument, they're not as efficient and not as up-to-date as what uh, the electric car would be, but I see, it, I see it as a good, again, as a good curbing away from just relying on pure petroleum processing and pure, um, you know, just oil extraction. We're running low on our resources, as, as, as we all know. And um, it's really, again, just trying to teeter that away and focus more on these bioprocessing uh, plants and whatnot. So, yeah. Awesome.
2: So which way would be the more green way to go?
1: <laughs> Ultimately... In terms of biofuel production, uh, I would say it's th- this uh, area of research is really geared towards. Oh, I'm just trying to put a word on it. I can't think of it right now. That's bothering me.
0: Like I um variety,
1: <sighs> variety. Yeah, it's. I would say that this um, with the with the biofuels and the, with the biofuels that I'm producing in this process, they're really geared towards. Um, Chemicals. So a lot of the chemicals that you don't see going into our chemical industry, our current existing infrastructure, so butanol. Butanol is a very popular uh, substrate for many polymers and useful products that we use within our daily lives. So I really see biofuels um, focusing more on behind-the-scenes cleanup of the oil and gas industry and the beginning steps into creating truly green bioprocessing. More so than uh, necessarily the revolution of alternative fuels for cars and transportation. That is a very important step that we also need to look into in terms of society and people researching and whatnot. But I I think in the long run, biofuels will be more geared towards uh, those uh, those behind-the-scenes chemicals that we all learn to love.
2: Great. So I guess moving away from research...
0: I got, I got a couple more questions. Sure. I just, before, sure. Like, yeah, <laughs> sure. In everyday life. Um, so we kind of, I kind of mentioned earlier. What, like, you're coming on at actually a really good time because just this week, Audi mm-hmm. announced that uh, they have concocted some sort of process, that yes. I believe uses
1: electrolysis. Yes. Yes. Yes.
0: To make diesel fuel, basically out of air. Um, yeah. yeah. It's so, funny. Uh, it, it, it's a process that uses electricity and like turns carbon dioxide into right. diesel fuel, and I'm, right. I'm curious if. Uh, you have any thoughts on that, or sure, or serious concerns? So,
1: yeah, I, have, I would say that I have both. Um, I had actually seen this company. The company behind this is known as Sunfire GM GmbH. They're an Austrian-based company, and what they do, what they're doing, is technology that's existed for about fifty or sixty years. Um, well, electrolysis, yeah, electrolysis, we've known since. And Lord knows when. I don't know my history of science too well. But the uh, primary process for producing these chemicals and fuels, the Fischer-Tropes process, has existed since the 50s. The problem with this Fischer-Tropes process is that the reactors require a huge surface area. And, it's again, it's very energy intensive. It takes a lot of energy going into it. I think the one of the main reasons that Audi has been getting a lot of uh, the attention recently regarding their ability to produce these biofuels and... Uh, alternative diesels and whatnot is because of the existing infrastructure within the German energy and uh, water management, systems that they have in place they're they're relying on almost all renewables if not all renewable energy sources right now so they're able to kind of access their grid and use those energy intensive processes as they have renewable energy to back them so it's a less less reliance on our typical non-renewables such as oil and gas and a greater focus on uh on the energy that they have that's renewable uh, in addition to that, they've probably done a lot of research, intensive research and development into producing bio- or reactors. Sorry, I'm stuck in my bio world. Uh, reactors that are able to effectively and efficiently uh, increase needed teeters for a uh, multinational scale.
0: And uh, you were kind of talking about bio-reactors, but another really cool question is sure. like. I mean, using bacteria to make chemicals we want is both yeah. the oldest and one of the newest things going on right now. <laughs> Completely. So could you tell us, like, a little bit about humans using these little microbes to make chemicals we want? Kind of um, maybe the the 10-second the history and, like, kind of where it is now.
1: Sure. So you could really say um, using microorganisms uh, for uh For producing useful products has been around since the Egyptians and the Babylonians. Beer, cheese, yogurt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All that good stuff. (laughs) Greek yogurt. Gotta love it. Um, But we're really getting into an understanding of how these microorganisms work and really what makes them tick and how we can influence their ticks to produce ticks that we need. Not actual physical ticks because that'd be gross. But, uh, um, you know, useful products and whatnot. So it's a really understanding a lot of the metabolic processes, how if you give them substrate A, they'll produce product Y. If you adjust the pH to this, they'll produce more of this. It's really just a lot of trial and error and just trying to understand what's going on. I, I, I think um, the big thing that I've pulled from uh, my learning in biochemical engineering is <laughs> really life is just redox. It's just um, it's just really an electric impulse given, and um, an electric output is produced somehow. So uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah,
0: and one last one last question is: um, Given like if everything in this project goes as optimistic as possible, yeah. uh, what could you see like the the main benefit to mankind, humankind being um, as a result,
1: right? Um, for this project, I'd say, ultimately, the focus on, again, going towards more greener and more biologically friendly technologies and having kind of that be the, the sluice gates opening for interest in this field and uh, pursuing, again, these large processes that are friendly to both uh, the environment and to ultimately sustain us. I think that's the most important part of this research and that this research inspires and is able to help people in the future uh, make even greater discoveries than anything I ever could. And I'm sure they will. I'm sure there'll be lots of people who'll be able to do that and just kind of geared towards using microorganisms as, as usual, um, little production plants.
0: They're our friends. Yes. Aww. Our little friends. So now we come back. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. So uh, go ahead.
2: Okay, so I'm just going to move away from research and talk about outside school involvement. So I hear that you are going on a research exchange to Germany. I
1: am. Yeah.
2: That's really interesting. So can you tell us a little bit about, I guess, how that worked and how you have this opportunity to go?
1: Sure. So, within my lab group, my professor, uh, Dr. Raymond, who is German, um, has been planning a collaboration with the university that I'll be working with. Uh, The university is called RWTH Aachen. And he is working with another. So, he's Dr. Lars. And he's working with another Dr. Lars in Germany. Yeah, I know. It gets confusing. So, the part of the deal was... That the German Dr. Lars will come over to our lab and visit, and a grad student of his will come over and visit and do their research. And then our doctor, so Canadian Dr. Lars, (laughs) and one of his students will go over and do research there. So I was lucky enough that the projects that they have going on at RWTH Aachen um, line up quite nicely with the research that I'm doing here. Nice. And as such, I was just lucky enough to be chosen to uh, go ahead and... um, experience germany so i can't wait yes.
0: back in the Deutsch?
1: uh just a little bit I'm much better <laughs> with my french I was, just, I was gonna say it's just un peu, but that's french obviously uh, so that's not very applicable
0: don't mix those up yeah i'll try <laughs> they don't like
1: it's, that. it's bad it's bad i know
2: so are you taking the research that you have going on here to germany and then finishing it up there is that
1: um i will be working on my research there but, uh, but in addition to that i'll be working with another professor um he's actually a brazilian professor on a different project that they have set up for me there, so I'm quite excited to work on that. Supposedly the equipment's top of the line, and there's only one out of four of these that exists in the world, so it's been hyped up a lot. So I'm, I'm expecting I'm expecting something pretty cool.
2: Nice, yeah.
1: And um, I, I guess like
0: I could ask like in like your average day, like I'm always fascinated because I find out that grad students have so many different lives yeah. compared to um to each other, and I would be interested like. What like a typical day in the chemical engineering office is like? Sure.
1: Um, like I said, the first the first hour is really just kind of your emails and hobnobs and whatnot, and then usually I'll go into the lab if I have an experiment running, check on it, see how it's doing. If not, um, set up an experiment, get something going, figure out something. This week I've really been um, focused on some uh, modeling using some of the. Uh, chemical processing software that we have
0: like working on the face
1: yeah no i if wish you're that making yeah. sure you're just
0: looking at the camera just right <laughs> no just
1: i know around. i know yeah no no voguing unfortunately but uh <laughs> actually uh process modeling so be just for what we're looking at is um trying to get a system we're trying, somebody in our group is also looking into uh butanol extraction from our bioreactor butanol as fun as it is for a party hangover, it's also pretty toxic for our little organisms, too. So we need to try to get that out of our reactor as fast as possible. So I've just been working on a theoretical model using some equations of states and some software that we have and trying to figure out a feasible system to get that product out of there.
0: <laughs> so I read books and taught myself math all day. Yeah. So like, <laughs> it's interesting to like kind of know that.
2: Yeah. yeah. So when you say wet labs, is mm-hmm. that kind of like under the fume hood... Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that would be for me, with my work that I'm doing, really um, getting my culture set up, um, either scaling them up to the bioreactors and running a bioreactor for several days or looking at them from uh, from the flask level and just seeing how they're growing, what types of products they're producing, stuff like that.
0: So, like, I've never run an experiment before. Sure. Shocking. (laughs) Um, But, like, I can imagine if you're really excited about one. Um, do you ever get tempted to just like, like you, you know, you only have to look at like maybe once every six hours yeah. to sort of make sure that nothing is exploded? Yeah. Like, you're always just like, ah, oh, I can check one more time. Come <laughs> on.
1: Like, you know, I usually do that if an experiment is going wrong, uh, which is, it seems kind of counterintuitive, but if things are going right, uh, I know that I can sample every, for example, like you said, six hours, so everything's going good. But if I see something at the three-hour mark that shouldn't be happening, that's when I'll get into a panic, for me at least. I'll get into a panic mode, and I'll come back an hour later, and I'll take a sample again and make sure things are going good. And if they're not, try to supplement it with something else. And I don't know. For me, it gets into a bit of a panic room scenario. But, I mean, yeah, there's if, if I am running an experiment that really interests me, um, I'm definitely much more gung-ho to get in there and see what's going on. And uh, I guess... Uh- the question escaped me. I'll come back later. Yeah, no worries.
2: Oh, I have a question. Sure. Would you ever run out of these microorganisms that you're using?
1: Um, well, the techniques that we have set up in the lab. So when you're wanting to order a microorganism, you'll talk to one of the cell cataloging corporations. Um, the ones that I ordered were all from Germany. So mm-hmm. um, they come from these cell culture corporations in what's known as a lyophilized state. So it's a frozen, uh, dried pellet of the organism and if you store it in the proper conditions this pellet can last up to like five ten years um so what i'll do from there is i'll regenerate this dried pellet into liquid media and from there i can prepare what's known as a cryoculture and those cryocultures can last up to again uh, when you store it for us we store it in the minus 80 freezer um it last up to a year or two so yeah it's pretty easy especially given the um the volumes that we're dealing with, you can, you can have these things really go on forever if you want to. Wow. Yeah. All
0: right, I go time for one more question. Sure. And this one is extremely important. So, um, so while working with these bacteria, just how horrible does this stuff smell? Mm.
1: You know, I'm kind of used to it by now. <laughs> it it smells, well, if I'm dealing with the butyric acid, that smells like dirty foot cheese. Mm-hmm. So that mm. one's pretty nasty.
0: Tasty. I've,
1: I've had times where I've, Released way too much into the lab, and it just it just because it has a low uh, volatility, and it just stinks up everywhere. So that one's not good. But otherwise, it smells it smells like a like a kind of yeasty bread, like kind of kind of off yeasty bread. So nothing. I haven't gotten anything too crazy yet, and like I said, I'm kind of acclimatized to it now. But I mean, yeah, I guess it smells pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Eric, thank you so much for coming on. Thank no you, worries.
0: Ralph. And you guys out there in Radioland stay tuned. We're gonna have a little tiny commercial break. And after that, we actually have another episode of GradCast. I actually found it. It's in the thing. So uh, for, I believe, the summer at least, we're going to be doing... uh, We've been doing the podcast, which when we move to every other week, we've been doing like an off-week podcast, which you should definitely be listening to at gradcastradio.ca. But uh, for this summer, we're going to be showing off a few of them on the radio because uh, we have a little bit extra time after the show. And so um, I hope you guys... Have an amazing week. I want to thank Eric again.
1: Thank you for having being
0: me. Awesome. And you guys out there in London, drive safe. It's raining out there. So, you know, and have an awesome May. It's beautiful outside these days. Take care. That's all for this week. If you want to send us some feedback or if you want to come on the show yourself, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. Be sure to hook us up on social media. On Twitter, we're at Gradcast Radio, And look up Gradcast Radio also on Facebook. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, the podcast is located at gradcast.podbean.com and it's on iTunes. And while you're there, why don't you leave us a review? It really helps us out. We'll see you guys next week.